I say that as a society, I say this in the beginning of your book, we become deaf and we become desperate because the amount of noise that we have had really has caused most of us as consumers, like if we put ourselves in the shoes as a buyer, whether we shop on Amazon or you shop for your favorite store, whatever, right? Don't you just throw out the junk mail? You don't even look at it anymore. Like you don't even look, right? Or the crap that comes with your newspaper and online too. And the emails, you're like, unsubscribe, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. How many of us do that and see our junk folders just filling up? And it's just like we've tuned it out. So why is it as marketers, we're still taking that approach? I honestly think that one of the biggest things that we have to address as we move into this next era, especially post-COVID, is really calling out the fear that we have for many of us as founders and leaders and marketers that if we don't tell them everything, we don't tell them how amazing all the things are that they're not going to want to buy from us. Welcome to the Your Living Brand. Live show. This show is all about how you communicate your value, how you build influence through trust, and recognizing who your audience is and who they are not. Through our weekly conversations with our guests, we will explore different ways to enable you to demonstrate your uniqueness while we ask them, what's your story? And now, welcome our host, Ben Baker. Welcome back to another episode of the Your Living Brand Live show. Welcome back, my wonderful audience. It's Ben here again. And thank you guys for coming back week after week, month after month, year after year. It's amazing. I love the comments you guys, you send me at yourbrandmarketing.com and that you connect with me on LinkedIn and I appreciate it all and I appreciate all of you. This time of year, more than any time of year, because it's getting to be the end of the year, we're starting to hear more and more noise on the radio, on the television, everywhere, trying to get people's messages across. And the problem is when you start amplifying your message, everybody else starts amplifying their message. And all of a sudden the amps are up to 11 and it gets to a point where it's deafening and nobody gets heard and nothing gets understood and no business actually happens because nobody trusts each other anymore. So this week, my buddy Kate DeLeo and I are going to talk about muting the megaphone. We got to mute the megaphone. So Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Ben. I'm excited to have a conversation with you today about all things branding and noise and marketing and all of it. Yeah, because you and I have no experience between the two of us. Branding, strategy, marketing. I've got 25 plus years. I'm sure you're getting close to me, but you're much younger than me. <laughs> I've got about 15 years. I'm getting old here. There you go. I mean, you there started you what, when you were 10 or 11 years old. Not quite, sir. Yeah. <laughs> but let's get serious about it. It's just that there's so much noise in the world. There is so many people just shouting from the rooftops, thinking that they're the only ones screaming and assuming that everybody's going to hear them. And it's just not so. Give people a little bit of a history about who you are, where you came from, and what brought you to muting the megaphone, because the book's done great. And I love the concept behind it. And I want people to have a little bit of knowledge about you before we get into the conversation. Sure, I'm happy to. Well, you know, it's funny, Ben, like I'm 37. I'm an older millennial. So I graduated right around the time the market crashed. And my journey into doing my work, which is branding, specifically copywriting and messaging, actually started in academia because I planned to pursue a PhD in linguistic anthropology. And right as I was about to start that work, the market crashed. And so I had to make a decision. Do I stay in academia? Do I leave? And I actually had a professor that told me, listen, you should really just 
go get a day job, pay off your undergrad debt. We don't really know what's going to happen to this field. Just come back in five years, right? And I tell the story all the time because my Italian father was like, yes, leave my house. Like, we love you, but it's time for you to go now. And so I left, Ben. I left. Italian father wanted his daughter to leave the house. Oh, he was like, bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah. They're like, you're the last one. We would like to live our lives now in our 50s and 60s without children in our house. Right. So I left and I got a sales job and it was actually my first sales job where I was cold calling IT professionals to sell them $2,500 training classes, which that's like the dumbest job you can take, right? It was really there that I learned the make or break power of how to deliver a simple yet provocative brand pitch. And so I've spent about 15 years since working in sales, working in marketing agencies to build brands, working in corporate America, all the while side hustling and building brands on the side. I've now worked with over 300 companies globally to help them build brands that really win more work. And we're here today to talk about noise that's out there in the world of marketing and branding and business, I think in general, because I really have this belief that marketing has turned into what we call megaphone marketing. And that was really the precipice of my book, Muting the Megaphone, is how do you take a step back from that approach to your marketing and messaging, your branding, and understand how you can actually create brand conversations that really engage and convert with your target audiences. Yeah, I love that. I mean, first of all, you and I are both recovering salespeople. Oh my gosh, exactly. (laughs) I spent a decade in high-tech sales before I got into marketing about 25 years ago. When you do the math, I was really young. But when we take a look at it, we sit there and say, okay, I think sales is a really great training ground for anybody in marketing because you actually get to talk to the actual end user. You get to listen to people. You get to understand what's their pain, what's their suffering, what are they actually needing versus sitting in an ivory tower. And I'm not saying that all marketing people are like this, but marketing people get out of the office and talk to people. We need to sit there and say, all right, who are we serving? We're serving a human being. And the first question I have for you is, why do you think that marketers, knowing what we know about human beings, and human beings want to be listened to, understood, and valued, why do you think people are shouting to begin with? Well, I actually think that in the last 10 years specifically, we've seen this inundation of what I call megaphone marketing, especially with the onset of what we call like those sales funnel pages, when really I would say the glory days of digital marketing started to take off. So if you rewind for a second here, and in the middle of not only the recession, but when we started to really see Mozilla and Moz and HubSpot come on the scene and Salesforce was upping its game and Marketo, and there was this whole new iteration of what marketing could be from a digital landscape potential and creation of content and inbound marketing, right? These concepts started to come on the scene. And even sales funnel pages, those long, 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 huge pages, right? I think when a lot of these technologies came out, we had originally understood that the best practice was give your customers as much information as possible, inform them, inform them, teach them, give, 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 so that they have all the information they need to make a buying decision. The problem, though, is that I think we took that very good concept and we went rogue with it. I think what we happened is, is I think that we started throwing for benefits, special offer, call to action, button, blah, 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 blah. And then it just creates a sense of overwhelm. Instead of really layering your content in what I call like the order of operations with your brand at the top, to be able to allow that person to self-select in every step of the way and want to know the next piece and want to know the next piece. That's conversational branding versus megaphone branding, if that makes any sense. 
And I want to get back one step further and I take it back the heady days, the young days of cable versus network television and the CNNs and the Fox of the world were newsflash or there's breaking news coming across the screen every 30 seconds. Like when you're dealing with media that's hitting you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year and everything, it's not about being right. It's about being first. I think that that's the genesis of it. I truly believe that that is what drove marketing is, is that people seeing that news went from being a way to educate, going from being a cost center to being a profit center. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that marketers took that, as you said, and just elevated it and took the whole psychological factor behind it and click funnels and everything else that goes along with it. And sit there and says, how do we get inside our people's minds and build that sense of urgency? And the problem is when you're building a sense of urgency, that's fine. When a million other marketing companies are all trying to build that same sense of urgency at the same time, we just turn off and we just turn out. I say that as a society, I said this in the beginning of your book, we become deaf and we become desperate because the amount of noise that we have had really has caused most of us as consumers, like if we put ourselves in the shoes as a buyer, whether we shop on Amazon or you shop for your favorite store, whatever, right? Don't you just throw out the junk mail? You don't even look at it anymore. Like you don't even look, right? Or the crap that comes with your newspaper and online too. And the emails, you're like, unsubscribe, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. How many of us do that and see our junk folders just filling up and it's just like we've tuned it out. So why is it as marketers, we're still taking that approach? I honestly think that one of the biggest things that we have to address as we move into this next era, especially post-COVID, is really calling out the fear that we have for many of us as founders and leaders and marketers that if we don't tell them everything, we don't tell them how amazing all the things are, that they're not going to want to buy from us. That's profound, is that there's something about building curiosity instead of show everything. Let's just open up the kimono and you can see everything. Because you've seen everything, you're going to come to us. Well, is that true? I mean, how many times do we see people go into a shoe store, try on 15 different pairs of shoes, decide on the pair they like, say, no, thank you, walk out the door and then buy them online because they can save 5% off that thing. And that poor salesperson is left having to rebox and restock 15 pairs of shoes. And there's an hour for his life that they're never going to get back. And I think we need to change our thought process. We do. I think one of the biggest aha pieces to think about is, Ben, when we think about content in general for marketing and messaging, it's it's more about an order of operations. I'm certainly not saying like if you're a technology or SaaS company, let's say, I would never say, hey, throw the baby out with the bathwater and you should not have your amazing explainer videos or your charts and your graphs and all of that information. What I am saying is that the job of your brand specifically, for example, is to be the lead-in that provokes somebody to want to know all of those details, those features and benefits. What often happens in megaphone marketing is we lead with all the stuff versus a very clear, simple, punchy brand message that just says in five sentences, here's what we do, here's how we solve your problem, here's how we're different. Boom, boom, boom. Based on buyer psychology, it's fascinating. That's actually the stuff that somebody needs to know to get to a point where they do convert and they do want to click and go deeper and know about, well, tell me how it works. How much does it cost? What do I get? What are the inclusions, right? Yeah, what doesn't it include? Right. If this is really a question of us taking a step back as marketers and asking ourselves, have we put our information in the right order to allow that person 
to self-select every step of the way as they read, listen, or hear that content. That's really about what it's about. And I love something you just said, self-select, because your marketing should select people out as much as it selects people in. And I think that we're so worried about not getting every single dollar out there that we're chasing dollars that we shouldn't be. And we're chasing clients that never are going to buy from us, never have a real need for us, and never are going to see value in what we do. So how do we get business owners to understand that this wonderful shotgun approach of hit everybody, tell them everything, and then hopefully three to 4% of these people are going to come to you is not time and money well spent because you're saying that 97% of the people that you're aiming at are not your customers. Everything comes back to, when we think about content marketing, we think about any sort of tactic we would take on not only a marketing approach, but a sales approach. I think we always have to go back to the beginning and continue to remind ourselves, who are we actually going after and why? Have we really defined the one, maybe two groups to whom we think have the highest potential of purchasing from us and go for those? What often happens with brand is we think that we're supposed to speak to everybody. It's actually completely incorrect. Great brands do not go after everybody. They go after the few. I always say that you are not in the business of convincing. You're in the business of converting. It is not your job to have everybody purchase from you trying to spin your wheels, convincing them, well, yeah, but we can help you here and here. No. It's your job to convert the ones who see and hear your messaging, deeply resonate with it at a heart level and say, okay, are you ready to have the problem solved? AKA convert those that are at the point of readiness. And they can afford to pay for it. That's it. Do you have target audiences defined as well with buyer criteria? Who has the highest level of pain? The right type of bureaucracy? The right decision-making style? Do they have the budget? Can they cut the check? What about coachability if you're in B2B services? Culture. Oh, if you're in B2C, what kind of shopper and economy is this person? Are they a Target shopper or a Walmart shopper? Do they drive a fancy car or a Toyota Corolla? So sometimes as marketers move beyond the demographics into the psychographics of what ideal actually means. And then you have to put stakes in the ground and make decisions. Are we willing to recognize that our revenue generation hinges on our ability to go after those people and do a good job with a brand that resonates with them? And over time allow our market share to expand when other people start to like us, find us, want to buy from us. Well, it's like Seth Godin said, it's the minimal viable audience. What's the minimal viable audience that you need to be able to be successful in your business? The thousand people or the 500 people or 10,000 people, what do you need in order to be able to say, you know what, we can make a really good living. We can afford to pay our staff. We can pay our bills. We can put some money in the bank and we can build for the future. Those people will turn around and let them tell your story because those are your champions. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Everything really goes back to deciding who you say you are, being yourself, not worrying about who you think you're supposed to be, and then really taking an honest assessment as an organization and going, who do we really have the best chance of serving? Those things often marry up. And so when you do that and you're willing to put some stakes in the ground, Then you can write a brand message, you can build the content, you can build the collateral, you can do the marketing tactics that will resonate and work. But everything has to actually go back to who are we going after and why? Hi, everyone. Do you want to be your best customer's vendor of choice? Do you want to cement relationships with them, add real value, and gain insights that your competitors just can't get? 
go to podcasthostforhire.com. That's podcasthostforhire.com. And let's work together to make you the value vendor of choice. So before we go any further, just so there's no ambiguity, how do you define brand? Because different people define brand differently. And I think it's important through this entire conversation, we probably should have done this at the beginning, but that's okay. How do we define brand? Because it's not the logo. It's not the jingle. What is it? Your brand is your path of least resistance to revenue, period, full stop. Because your ability then, whether you walk into the Zoom room, somebody sees it on the website, they hear you in a webinar or on your podcast, whatever it might be, your ability to tell somebody in 15 seconds or less, this is what we do, this is how we solve your problem, and this is how we're different. That is the stuff that is going to authentically provoke that other person to go, that's interesting. I want to have a conversation. That is what brand is all about. Brand is the singular point of opening the door for you and your prospect to come to the table together and have the conversation that's going to convert. So, I mean, let's look at it this way from a brand point of view. Somebody just told me we've just crossed the 8 billion person market in the world. If you had one ten thousandth of 1% of the world population, no like and trust you, they understood the problem that you solved and you were the person that could do it, that's 8,000 people or 8,000 groups or whatever. For the majority of companies in the world, that's a fortune. Yeah, it is. And if you start thinking about the world that way, if you start sitting there going, who are the people that who have a right knee that needs to be fixed? The right need right now. Yeah, right knee right now. And if you start thinking about those people, those are your tribe. And if we mute the megaphone, we forget about the other 99.9999% of the people in the world. And we start having a quiet conversation based on value, based on intent, based on aspiration with that one ten thousandth of 1%, is our time much better spent? Yeah. I mean, when you really think about it, I guess what all I can say is, listen, I think what we know, you know how there's that saying, niches lead to riches? Yes. Okay. I mean, it's really what you're saying, Ben, and I so believe and support your complete, your entire philosophy here. Our ability to niche in and to just take a step back and not be in the place of fear that we have to serve everybody or sell to everybody or reach everybody, but to decide that actually we can have a beautiful, healthy, sustainable, growing business by just trying to go for the right few, it does a lot. I think, first of all, yes, you'll see revenue growth, but talk about your time being better spent. Talk about your energy. Talk about your bottom line improving. I see this with my clients all the time that when they decide to niche in from a target audience perspective, and then we build the messaging for that, they actually see a huge impact on things such as sales cycle time, customer success teams being better equipped to deliver. In fact, they get calls from the team. They're like, oh my God, thank you. Because we're no longer dealing with those terrible headache clients. But we've got people we like to work with. Have you ever had that happen? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And so all of a sudden you see efficiencies, better morale, you see culture improvement, you see CEOs and decision makers being more aligned. You can make more surgical decisions because you're no longer trying to be in the business of being everything for everybody. You can grow in a beautiful way, being fully you for the right people. And that's such a powerful message. I mean, I remember 25 years ago when I started off in actual direct mail. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Lick stamps, print <laughs> stuff, put it in the mail. Remember those days? Mm -hmm. I, yep. I was the guy that produced hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pieces of direct mail on a monthly basis. 
and Canada Post and the U.S. Postal Service love me. I was one of their best <laughs> friends. I was the guy that they flew down to conferences because they love me so much. Remember when you had to rinse the printing machines from the post office? My dad had one. And we would sit there, my sister and I, with his business as kids and label everything. Oh, yeah. He used to go pay for more postage. And I would go to the post office every day with my dad. He'd have more packages. Yep. But I remember we had a client in the casino business. And I walked in, I signed their NDA, and I sat down at their computer, and I looked up at their screen, and I started to drool. And they said, what are you doing? I said, you have no idea what you have. They said, what do we have? I said, you know who's coming down, how long they're coming down, what games they play, how much they won, how much they lost, when their birthday is, who the people they come down with because their cards are all connected. And he says, we created a birthday campaign that ran for three years, okay? 50,000 birthday cards went out every single month, inviting people to come down for their birthday. Their birthday boy or birthday girl got a free lunch. Their friends all got a free piece of birthday cake. If they gave us $50 US, they got $50 or $50 Canadian, they gave us $50 US, something in those lines. It was all variable based on how much money they spent. We got a 45% response rate. That's incredible. On a month after month basis. Yeah. I mean, a normal direct mail is three to 5%. If that, if that. If you're lucky. But because we realized who our target audience was and we understood how to speak to them, what motivated them, and what inspired them, Yes, we yes. were able to engage. And that's muting the megaphone. It that's is. That's sitting there going, you know what? I could care less about anybody else except whoever's birthday it is this particular month. That is. And that's the power of brand. You know, brand frees you up. When you have your brand down, you know what's funny is you see that the beautiful alignment between sales and marketing, you start to see the synergy across the organization. If you're willing to risk it and go in and develop that brand and really decide, a lot can happen in a positive, positive way. Yeah, it can feel scary. It can feel scary. But I think the thing is, is what are you waiting for? Would you rather be in the same boat where you have a 0.2% open rate or do you want the 45% open rate? Not only from a marketing standpoint, do you want to grow 1% year over year or 10% year over year? What are you willing to do to get aligned around who you say you are who you're going after and what message you're delivering. What are you willing to do? And what's it worth it to you to get your brand nailed down so that you are no longer trying to shout like a megaphone or tell complex stories that you can have actual conversations that convert? So how do you help leaders get out of the FOMO mentality, the fear of missing out? Because that's really what it comes down to. If we ignore those three people in Idaho or the six people down in Florida, oh my God, there could be $1,000 of business that we could have lost. And that's $1,000 that could go into our register. The fact that it costs us $999 to acquire those people is a different story altogether. But how do we get people out of the FOMO mentality and realize that, yes, not every opportunity is a good opportunity? Well, there's some practical exercises that you can actually do. So it's funny because when I work with my clients, I try to make this as tangible and practical as possible. So Ben, what I'm often doing with them is we create for each target audience that they have, we choose their top two, top two or three. And there's a couple of principles you can do. So in general, niching in, there's this principle of the 70%. So when you build your messaging, your first step is to decide who are the top two or three audiences where I think where 70% of my revenue is going to come from. And you're going to build your message to those groups with a full acknowledgement, by the way, that you can have great people that are outliers over here that love you like you find you buy from you, legacy clients, whatever. 
but they're not your bread and butter necessarily. Okay. So I'm not saying, again, don't throw them out, but are you actively trying to message and market to them? No, maybe not. So you have to decide your top two or three audiences. And then for each of those, you need to build out a list of 10 to 20 buyer criteria or characteristics of what ideal looks like. Once you do that, really, you start to overcome a little bit of fear because what happens is your founders and leaders start to realize, oh my God, yeah, we don't want to work with these people. They're a pain in the butt. I love working with this group. Here's the piece that most people go, oh, light bulb. Once you decide who you're going after, once you decide what ideal looks like, the third step that gives people a really strong sense of how to move from fear to opportunity is this question. Where do those ideal customers already show up digitally or in person? And what happens is pretty powerful when they start to go, well, oh my gosh, they're in CEO mastermind groups. Oh my gosh, they listen to these podcasts. Oh my gosh, they're not on Facebook. Why are we on Facebook? They're on LinkedIn. Oh my gosh, they're at these really cool association groups that I can join and just get in the room and have conversations with. Ding, ding, ding. Even if you only have 8,000 potential people that are your ideal client and you only need to close 10 to 20 a year, what rooms can you go into to meet 10 to 20 at a time? Target rich audience. That's the question we have to start to ask as marketers. And you start to realize that you can do a lot more with a lot less. And you start to realize that you don't have to be afraid because your buying cycle will decrease because your ability to connect with them will be faster. Your actual cost per acquisition is way down. That's when they start to go, oh, this is not fear. I have a huge opportunity in front of me. So you've got to know who you're going after. You've got to define what ideal looks like. And then you've got to start to make a list of where can I find those people? And as soon as you do that, I can guarantee you, you'll move from fear of missing out to I can capitalize on that opportunity. And I love it. And all of that is predicated on where do we want to be as a company? That's right. Where are we today? Where do we want to be in three, five, 10 years from now? What's the bridge we need to build in order to get there? And by the way, when we get there, why do we want to be there in the first place? And what's it going to enable us to achieve? I think that if we ask those questions, then we start building out the types of clients and speaking the brand message that are gonna get us over that hump. It's gonna allow us to cross that chasm because there's so many clients out there that are bad clients for us because they won't allow us to grow and they're time suckers. I think you hit the nail on the head. Again, I think a lot of us going to megaphone marketing out of fear, out of fear of maybe not being so sure who we are, maybe fear of what our competitors are doing, fear of missing out, but really to have powerful path of least resistant to revenue type of branding and marketing methods we have to be bold enough and willing to decide who we are, decide who we're going after. You do have to decide who you are and why you're in business in the first place. And it's funny when you go back and you really analyze that, like you're saying, it gives you a deep sense of peace and confidence. Why are we in this business in the first place? Let's own it. Let's really own that so that we have aligned to audiences who will likely buy from us for that purpose. And one last question, and then I'm sure let you go because I want to be wary <laughs> we of can talk for you. We I can know. talk for days on this. And we will. And we will. But it's, I look at it and sit there and go, all of what we said is true. Everything is right. You need to mute the megaphone. We need to find our niche. We need to think about this. The question that I come up with is, how do we enable people to realize that they're chasing the wrong thing? Because people are terrified, and we've talked about this, about sunk costs. Yeah. And getting them to realize that sunk costs are sunk costs, the past is the past, and we need to look forward because there's so many people that have are sitting there licking so many wounds because they've gone in so many bad directions and they've gotten so much bad advice 
that they don't know who to trust. They don't know what's right and what's wrong anymore. So they just follow the herd. I think you're asking a big question that we can't answer in two minutes, my friend. How do you help them overcome that? I mean, my gosh, it's a process, isn't it? I would say that we have to remember that because we're all human and we're all people. And so to come into any organization and as a consultant, right? Like I can't imagine coming into an organization and be like, yeah, change right now, two days, done. Forget that, right? Like come on, you're dealing with people's lives and their fears and cultures and teams and all the things, right? When we talk about brand, we're dealing with people. We're dealing with people. And so I think ultimately, though, it does come down to an interesting cost-benefit analysis. I like to ask the questions that kind of provoke whether somebody's ready to move forward, how they can snap themselves out of it, where I ask, what is it costing you to stand still and do what you're doing? And what is it worth it to you? What is it worth to step into something else? Even if it's just a quarter turn, what's it worth it to you to try? What's it costing you to stand still? What is it worth it for you to try? And I think that all of a sudden you're getting people to think aspirationally and you're acknowledging that there is fear. You're acknowledging that there has been challenges. You're not negating the past. You're not negating where they've been. You're understanding it and then helping them to find a path forward that is going to put them in a better light. And I think that's what true marketing and true branding needs to do is to be aspirational and to be able to start those new conversations, whether it's conversations inside the company or outside the company. And I thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, this has been fun, Ben. I appreciate you having me on today to talk about this. We could talk for days. We really could <laughs> around this. So the best way for people to get in touch with you is through katedeleo.com. That's right. Yeah. www.katedeleo.com. Tons of information. If you're curious about the method around how to mute the megaphone and approach to writing your brand, you can check out my book on there as well. It's called Muting the Megaphone. And it's just a simple 100-page practical guide, step-by-step of what I walk my clients through to tangibly actually write your brand in a different way. Perfect. It's K-A-T-E-D-I-L-E-O.com. Because I spell it wrong the whole time. <laughs> I have to sit there and go, no, that's not right. It's not D-E, it's D-I. I am not blessed with an easy last name like Smith or Baker, okay? Hey, listen, you know, people spell Baker with two Ks, so don't get me started. <laughs> and here's the last thing I ask everybody before I let them out the door. When you leave a meeting and you get in your car and you drive away, what's the one thing you want people to think about you when you're not in the room? She's confident, but she's kind. I love it. You know what? It lets people know that you're able to help them and you're empathetic. And I think that that's something that we all need in the world. We need a partner. We don't need somebody to come in and say, hey, listen, you broke your leg, see you later, here's my bill. We need somebody that comes in and says, I'm sorry, your leg's broken, let me help you fix that. And I know that you're that type of person. I appreciate it. I wouldn't be in this business if I didn't genuinely care about helping people step into their purpose. It just so happens that my slice of the pie of how I can help them do that is through really powerful branding. Well, thank you for all the gifts you give to the world. And thank you for being you, Kate. Thank you, Ben. This has been the YourLivingBrand.Live show. I want to thank you for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show at YourLivingBrand.Live and share your favorite episodes with colleagues and friends. At Your Brand Marketing, we help companies engage, retain, and grow their most valuable assets, their employees, If you're tired of losing great staff and want to retain your best employees, build brand champions and leaders at any level. Contact us for a 30-minute consultation at yourbrandmarketing.com. That's www.yourbrandmarketing.com.
www.yourbrandmarketing.com. Thank you again for listening and sharing. Tune in next week when we ask another guest, what's your story?